so many times you have to perform, especially in comedy, when you're not happy or things are not going well in your life or you have stress and you just have to not think about it. You have to focus on the job at hand. And honestly, that's always really helpful in aviation too because you have outside stresses, you know, family problems, relationship problems, maybe you have financial problems, and none of that matters when you get to the plane. You have to fly the plane. More than enough, this is your life. Take your place at center stage. Find your light. Hello, and welcome to Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives they love. I am your host, Emily Stamets. And I want to take you back to last fall um, when I attended a benefit concert for the Educational Theater Association. It was at uh, the Avalon, I believe, in Los Angeles. And, you know, everyone there was sort of theater people. We're there to support educational theater. Um, We're there to, like, see. It was all uh, in, like, in honor of Bernadette Peters. So, like, she was in the audience. So it's all these people who had worked with her and were, you know, doing really cool performances stuff. Um, and I'm sitting at this table with, uh, my husband and my mother to the left of me. And then across the table is, um, a lovely, very friendly person who keeps laughing all of the time. And as you know, we kind of like are getting to know each other at the table. You know, none of us knew each other except for me and my family. Um, and we're sort of like, oh yeah, you know, what do you do? Like, how, why are you here? What brought you here? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and this person across the table said that she was uh, connected with Second City and she had been doing improv and sketch comedy for a really long time. Um, and she's also a commercial pilot. What? So, of course, I had to have her on the podcast. So, who you're hearing from today is Laura McGee, who, first of all, is again just one of the like friendliest, most open people I've ever met. Um, but let me just read you some of the the highlights, and this is nowhere near the entirety of her resume uh, because it is extensive and awesome. So, here we go. Uh, she is a proud alum of the Second City Theater in Toronto. She was the first person ever to script an entire show for the Second City. She has also written and performed in eight shows of her very own. And several years ago, she decided to begin a second career in aviation. And we talk a lot about like how that happened and why she made that choice in the conversation. So make sure that you keep listening. Um, she is in, oh, this is a lot. This is a lot of words, ready? She is an instrument and multi-engine rated commercial pilot and a certified flight instructor. Um, right now she is flying commercially for United Express Jet Airlines. And we talk about some like what some of her routes look like. It's uh, a really intense job. And she also keeps doing writing and sketch comedy. So her play, um, a, she now she's based out of Los Angeles now. Um, her play A-Types premiered at Second City Hollywood a few years ago. She has taught and directed improv and sketch comedy at the Second City Hollywood for the past five years. So you should definitely check her out and see if you can get into one of her classes there if you are anywhere in the LA area. Um, she helped to uh, create a monthly improv show at the Second City Hollywood called the Historical Improv Theater Show, which sounds amazing. I haven't been able to go, but it's definitely on my list. And oh my goodness, like how many minutes are there in a day for her to do all this? She also has a web series about her flying experiences 
and her experiences as a flight instructor that is called Lady Pilot. And you can find that at www.ladypilot.com. Um, she's hilarious and wonderful. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, a note before we get started. First of all, um, Laura does mention that she received a death threat at one point in her teaching career. So if that is going to be uncomfortable for you, uh, you might want to skip this episode. Um, and also there was a, it was a really stormy day when I recorded this interview with her and there was a bit of a delay on our call. So there's some awkward moments where like I start speaking and she's still speaking and there's some, just some weird moments. Just know that like, I know that those are there and I know that they're awkward. Um, and I don't love it, but it was just how the conversation happened. So bear with me on that. Um, and again, please, please, please enjoy this conversation. It is fascinating. All right. So my name is, well, actually I have two names. My, my professional name is Laura McGee. So most people know me by that name, but it's actually not my legal name. So if you try to look me up on a federal aviation registry, <laughs> I will not show up, which has been a source of contention in the past. Oh, no. Yeah, I had a very lovely gentleman who uh, was very, very, you know, careful in particular and fair enough. And he showed up for a flying lesson and said, uh, no big deal. I'm sure it's fine, but um, you're not on the FAA registry as a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, that's because I Googled how to be a pilot last night before our lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. And I'd um, forgotten. He, he clearly had looked up Laura McGee, which is not my legal name. So the FAA did not have a record for her. Right. McGee. Well, that's very so, conscientious of him, though. It would not even occur to you know. me to check on my instructor, which is like ridiculous. I probably should do that next time I take. Yeah, well, and there are, there have been cases. In fact, I, I know of one where someone was teaching flying lessons without being a certified flight instructor. Oh my gosh. So, so yeah, is <laughs> that kind that's of, actually isn't not that a bad like idea. Part of the basis of that, um, Leonardo DiCaprio movie, catch, catch me if you can. Is that what that was? Wasn't he like pretending to yeah, be in this- yeah. And in this case, this gentleman was a, a commercial pilot. He did have a commercial pilot's okay. license, but he hadn't been able to, he tried three times to pass his certified flight instructor exam, mm-hmm. which is a very difficult one. It only has a 40% oh, sure. pass rate the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he hadn't been successful. So he was uh, conducting flying lessons and, and someone else was signing off people's logbooks who was um, a certified flight instructor. Oh, wow. So um, they got caught. As as they rightly should, and uh, of course there were serious consequences. But yeah, it always just blows my mind that someone would have the audacity, especially you know you have someone's life in your hands. So yeah, um, oh my goodness! Every time I think I've heard everything, aviation is very much like the entertainment industry. It's really fairly polarized. So yeah, I believe you hear it. these stories, the the jaw droppers, I call them. Well, especially yeah, then I mean. It's all just got to be, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of like, like all of the like weird stories and just extreme stories that I hear about life. And then imagine just putting those on top of a plane and like uh-huh. if this was happening in an airplane. Um, that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't blame this gentleman at all. And of course we sorted it out, but it was very funny for a moment. That is very of course funny. he was trying to be very non-confrontational in the first sense. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's totally fine. <laughs> but. <laughs> wow. Well, that was really nice of him. So, okay. So Laura, you are, um, we met 
for context, at a benefit for the Educational Theater Association, was in Los Angeles, um, and uh, you, we were sitting at the same table. Um, luckily, fortunately, I'm very happy that I got to connect with you. And so I knew that you had an interest in theater, and then I found out that you had kind of it was sort of a it's new, right? Being a pilot is new. So you had this new career as a commercial airline pilot. And I was like, Yeah, I just amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted well, to I decided that working in one male dominated field wasn't quite enough for me. So okay. I decided to start working in another. Yeah, cool, cool. <laughs> it sounds like a great way to live life. <laughs> I want to hear kind of like, I, I want to hear about both of these things and I want to hear about how they maybe have informed each other if we can sort of like you know, peel away any of the layers of like how um, being an improv artist has led you into being a great pilot. I don't know if that's even there, but we'll see if we can find it. Um, so why don't you like give us the rundown of I mean, kind of your like your life story in a nutshell, but specifically let's talk about theater first. So how did you get yeah. started here? Um, and like, was there a moment that you knew that being on stage was the thing you wanted to do? Oh, most definitely. Um, I was actually working uh, in the publishing company. I was uh, working in editing for a legal publisher. And uh, my dad was an accountant. And he asked me if I wanted to go see this comedy show because he had a client who was in the cast. And the comedy show was the Second City in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went and I saw the show with him. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, oh, my God, people get paid to do this? (laughs) I did not know. Why am I sitting editing? Uh, So I took classes right away, basically quit my job. And uh, I've worked for Second City in one form or another probably for almost 30 years. They've been very, very good to me. How old were you, Mm -hmm. remember, when you saw that show? Uh, I got into the company probably in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, which was interesting because uh, there were uh, usually three women and three men in the cast and the three women were all around 30 and the guys were all very young. They were barely in their early twenties. So uh, there's a, a large disparity in maturity <laughs> between mm-hmm. men in their early twenties and women pushing 30. So it was a really interesting cast. <laughs> I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, yeah. and was that, was that your first experience with performance? It was, which was really challenging because most people that perform in Second City come from a theater school mm-hmm. background or they've done community theater or, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of form of entertainment. They already have an agent. Uh, I had no experience whatsoever. Uh, so it was a very steep learning curve and I had terrible performance anxiety. I used to get horrible stage fright. Uh, we used to call... Um, people who had that back wall huggers because you would kind of scooch up against the brick wall at the back of the stage. Yes. I have directed comfort. many times. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you know, it's like anything else you get, you get more confidence and more currency as you go along. And it was really wonderful atmosphere for me because it was amazing to find a group of people that shared the same sense of humor as me and my irreverence for the same things. And I just remember just enjoying their company so much and laughing so much. And, um, and, and some, you know, some days you would feel like you were very good at it as you do in anything. Some days you would feel like you were, you know, the least talented person on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. It would go through those humbling cycles. Uh, but I always found it challenging and I always found it thrilling, which is why I've done it for so long. 
Yeah. So you um, saw this show, you took some classes, you got into the cast um, and it's been, it's been decades now since then. So what have you been doing since then? So uh, I've mostly been writing and performing back in Canada where I'm from. I'm from Toronto. And uh, so because I got into Second City, I was able to get into the theater union and and, uh, by reciprocity, the television and film union. I was able to get representation and I did film and TV and commercials uh, as an actor in uh, Toronto. Uh, And then I became a little bit frustrated about the lack of roles for women. So I started writing. Mm-hmm. So I've done, uh, at this point, I think 13 plays that I've written and produced. Wow. I've been very lucky. They've been produced all over Canada and the U S mm-hmm. uh, and I've written for Canadian television and been, um, nominated for some awards, which really helped me get my green card when I came here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been very lucky and I love writing. It's really empowering to create material for yourself. Yeah. Is there one um, in particular that we should all keep an eye out to see if it's produced again or one that like was a particular favorite of yours? Um, what, the one that, that seemed to have the most popularity that uh, was optioned quite a bit across the U.S. was, again, just, you know, designed to just be for my friends so we could have some fun. Uh, it was a, an all-female parody of Reservoir Dogs called Reservoir Bitches. <laughs> and it basically examined the gender differences uh, between men and women in the context of committing uh, the bank robbery. So it was really fun to perform. So we performed that one. It was in Toronto and New York and Minneapolis and and here. Uh, it was it was an all female cast. It was really really an interesting experience. I played the uh, uh, Tim Roth character, the undercover cop which was really fun. I got to bleed out on the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, and and I will... Instead of whining and complaining about going to the hospital, I kept saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. I've had three <laughs> kids. Trust me, this is a paper cut. I'm fine. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that so yeah, really that was one wonderful. of my favorites. Is that a script that, like, ha- is it being published anywhere that we could like get a copy and read it or is it something um I can't remember if I I mean I definitely have it registered with the writers guild because I actually got a phone call at one point from Quentin Tarantino's manager to make sure that I wasn't violating any copyright laws and there's a, a parody law which is quite lovely that allows people to parody things without the writer's permission and I he asked if I could send him a copy of the script and I didn't they were fine uh, but that was kind of an interesting moment. <laughs> Please don't shut like us down. Quentin Tarantino is not a guy you want to get sued by. Or it's just my no, exactly, feeling. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a kind of interesting. And I, you know, I had that moment of, is this one of my friends pulling a prank on me? I'm like, no, that's a New York number on call display. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> that would be a terrible prank. No one should do that to someone else. That's awful. <laughs> Um, let's talk so, about yeah, the pilot too. Pardon me? Sorry, so you've had some interesting experiences, like the Quentin Tarantino yeah. thing. Um, well, I want to hear also about your career as a pilot. Like when yeah, so as we said, that happened. I, I, someone started. bought me a flying lesson. Well, I used to skydive a little bit. 
Um, cause I have very little common sense and, uh, <laughs> someone bought me a flying lesson for my birthday one year and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get my private pilot license, which is a recreational license. So I started taking lessons and, and I managed to get that. And, and then I didn't know what to do with it cause it's very expensive to maintain a license and, uh, my stepdad, Marty, actually suggested that. He said, why don't you keep going and get your commercial license and then you might be able to start a second career. And at that time, I think only 3.5% of pilots uh, in the commercial arena were women. Now it's up to a, a whopping 5%. But uh, yeah. I was intrigued because I found it challenging. I was intrigued because I was sort of mystified why women hadn't been able to permeate uh, the male barriers. And I also liked it because, uh, as you probably well know, the entertainment industry can be very frustrating because the rewards are not always commensurate with the effort. You can Mm -hmm. be talented and work really hard, but sometimes, you know, if you're not in the right place at the right time, or you don't have the right connections, uh, you just, you know, your career just doesn't progress. Mm -hmm. Whereas aviation is very different. If you put the work in and you have ability, eventually you will move up the food chain. And I kind of liked that, you know, I got out of it what I put into it. And it also was a nice balance for me. One of the hardest things about being a performer is it's very myopic. So if, if that's all you've got going on in your life, it can be very tough. Um, so I liked having sort of a more well-rounded existence. It sort of gave me more balance. Um, and it was so different from acting. It's, it's a very left-brain endeavor versus creative arts, which are very right-brain. Um, so I liked that balance. So have you managed to crack the the code? Have you figured out why it's such a male-dominated field? Uh, I think for two reasons. I think one reason is that women simply don't see other women doing it, so it never occurs to mm-hmm. them as a career option. Uh, it's hilarious when I walk through airports in my pilot's uniform. Uh, you feel like a unicorn. People <laughs> just kind of <laughs> stare at you. They're very confused. They're wondering if it's a different kind of flight attendant uniform. Uh, it's, it's, it's very odd. So there's that, but it's also, uh, it's just very tough for women. It's a very sexist industry. So you have to be pretty thick skinned. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some jaw, again, jaw dropping experiences, which honestly, as a younger woman, I don't know if I would have had the fortitude to, uh, forge ahead. Uh, as an older woman, I'm a little thicker skinned and have a nice sense of self. So that's definitely been beneficial to me. which is also really interesting. As I said, I don't know if I discovered it in my younger days, if I would have kept on with it, but uh, now I'm an old stubborn bat. So (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic. With a very low bullshit threshold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Okay. So so take us through what like a typical day in the life of Laura McGee looks like. So right now it's, it's quite difficult. crazy because uh, so uh, because what I do is I fly out of a base that's Chicago and I live in Los Angeles so I have to fly to Chicago to start my work day which sounds crazy but yeah. more than half of the half of the pilots working out there don't live in base which I did not know before I started working at the airlines so a typical day well I'll walk you through last week uh, I got up at four o'clock in the morning. And I live about an hour and a half uh, north of LAX. So I drove down to LAX and then I took a shuttle from the parking lot 
to the terminal. Uh, and when you don't live in base, you can fly for free because we have travel privileges, but you actually fly standby. Mm-hmm. So there's no guarantee that you can get to work. So you book yourself standby on a flight and then you wait till the very end to see if they have a seat for you. And if they don't, then you can sometimes ride the jump seat uh, in the cockpit if it's okay with the captain. And generally it is because they're quite lovely. Um, so then you fly to your domicile, which for me is about a four hour flight. And then there's a time change. So it moves to central time, which is two hours ahead. So like last week I got in around, uh, 1 PM, mm-hmm. uh, which was 3 PM, um, Chicago time. Mm-hmm. And my workday started at 5 PM. So, uh, I flew after that. And then I was on a, most trips are between two and four days. So I flew to Washington the first night, stayed in Washington. Uh, then the second day I had three legs. So I flew to, uh, back to Chicago and then I flew to Washington again. And then I flew to Monterey, Mexico and then I stayed there. And then the third day I flew back from Monterey to Chicago and then I flew to Cleveland and then I flew back to, uh, to Chicago again, and then I flew to Atlanta. Goodness. So most flight days for a regional airline are, are, are between two to three, sometimes four legs. And then you always end up back where you started. So the fourth day I ended up back in Chicago, and then uh, it was too late to get a flight back home, which is often the case. So your two choices then are to either get your own hotel room, or some some pilots have crash pads. So. Crash pads are these delightful uh, apartment areas that ha- basically have rooms filled with bunk beds. And you pay probably between $200 and $250 a month for the privilege of sleeping in a bunk bed wow. whenever you feel like it. Oh, yeah, it's sexy. It's so sexy. <laughs> so, because I'm old and a light sleeper, I can't do a crash pad. So I try to find hotel rooms. Or if you can't find a hotel room, then your other option is to stay at the airport and sleep in the crew lounge. And the crew lounge, each airline has a crew lounge, which basically has computer terminals and places to eat, tables and chairs. But they also have sleeping rooms, which are little rooms with um, uh, barca loungers with uh, recliners in them and, and pillows and blankets. And you can, you can crash there and close your eyes if you need to. Uh, which is very strange because the airport is dark and quiet and you feel like uh, like you're in that Tom Hanks movie where the man lives in the airport. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a very odd thing to go from being in a very crowded, frenetic airport to suddenly it's, you know, you and the lady who's vacuuming. <laughs> and that's it. It's a very, very odd dichotomy. Um, and so then you get your flight home and then you fly home and then you get your car and then you drive home. So usually my, by the time I get home, that's about a 12 hour travel day. Uh, and then you come home, do your laundry and turn around and go back and do the same thing again. So how many days do you get in between all of those flying all over the world days? Um, it really depends because uh, the, the aircraft that I'm flying right now is a brand new aircraft that not a lot of people are trained on yet. So we have a little bit of, we're stretched a bit thin. Okay. So uh, I've had uh, shifts. Well, I think in January, I think I had a total of three whole days off the rest of the time I was traveling. Because generally you have two or three days between trips. 
I was pretty beat at the end of January, but I'm also not terribly adept at, um, there's a bidding system to get your monthly schedule mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm not, it's all computerized and there's algorithms and, uh, I'm not terribly adept at it yet. So I'm not, I'm not optimizing my, my schedule in a way that others are. I, I've gone into the crew lounge and there's guys sitting there with three laptops open, working at like their bookies in Vegas. And <laughs> I, I just, I don't have the aptitude yet for that. So, mm-hmm. um, but you can also, if, you know, if, if you need to, the system has a way of posting trips where another pilot can pick it up and take it off your plate. So this weekend I was very lucky cause I'm, I'm pretty beat and I had a, a two day trip this Saturday and Sunday that I really didn't want to go all the way to Chicago just to fly for two short days. So mm-hmm. I posted it and some sweet soul picked it up for me so I can have a little more time off which is lovely. So, yeah, yeah. so it works out. And again, you know, I, as I said, someone said, Oh, LA is a long way to commute and you must be so tired. And, and I am, but I, I'm also very fortunate because I get to do two things I like for a living. And a lot of people don't even get to do one. So I'm well aware of how spoiled I am. <laughs> so let's, um, how do you balance, let's talk about those two things. Um, yeah. How do you balance, being a performer and continuing to like keep some fingers in theater in addition to that sort of nutso flying schedule? Uh, well, I'm actually still kind of sorting that out. So I, I, again, I'm so fortunate. The second city is my, my professional home for decades and they're the nicest people on earth and they're so accommodating. Uh, so they, I give them my flying schedule and, and they work around that. Uh, I'm actually teaching a class there on Saturday. Someone needed a substitute and I'm going to be around. So I said, Oh, I can do that. Um, so I just kind of squeeze it in wherever I can. And then, uh, the writing is great because we often have layovers. So I bring my laptop with me and I write Mm -hmm. in the hotel rooms or wherever, you know, I have a spare minute. Uh, so that's it's all good as i said i don't have a lot of downtime but that's that's fine it's all stuff that i enjoy so yeah that's so cool have you found um i know you said that they're very different like right brain and left brain sort of like flying is very probably analytical and mathy and sciency um and then performing and you know writing is much more um like you know feely and emotional and whatnot um but have you found any overlap between the two like has becoming a pilot informed the way that you write and perform at all? Absolutely. The two have been incredibly beneficial to each other with regards to crossover. Um, My communication skills and lateral thinking skills that I've developed as a performer have been so beneficial to me in aviation. A lot of pilots are very good at flying the plane and very good at the technical aspects of aviation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not essentially great communicators um, or just a hard time. They all opt, a lot of them are, are quite introverted and have a lot, uh, a lot of difficulty interacting with people, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's such an intimate, heavily interactive environment um, that's difficult for them. Whereas for me, talking to people, communicating, interacting is something I've done for decades and it's, you know, very essential to my other career. So I mm-hmm. am very comfortable with it and having a sense of humor absolutely <laughs> uh, helps me so much. And it's so delightful because you show up for a flight and most of the time you don't know the flight crew until you show up. Every once in a while I fly with a captain uh, for the second or third time, but most people I've never met before. And then suddenly 
you're in this very intimate environment in the cockpit for four straight days, long days. Um, and there's always a, a lovely moment because you're trying to suss each other out, get a sense of, you know, what the person is like. And mm-hmm. there's always a moment, you know, where I say something and they laugh or they say something and I laugh and you can see the look of relief on their face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So that's always really nice because, I mean, it's a very stressful, intense job. So um, it's good to laugh. In fact, it's very fun because I often will hear the flight attendant, whoever's working first class, can hear us laughing through the door and she'll say, what are you guys doing up there? It sounds like you were having fun. I'm like, well, we were. (laughs) (laughs) And then I love. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then the, the carryover the other way is, definitely stress mitigation and leadership. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was joking the other day uh, on Facebook, I had flown 10 days in a row of the worst possible inclement weather you can imagine on the East Coast. I've flown in blizzards, ice storms, heavy fog, rain, turbulence. And I actually put on Facebook, I can't believe I used to get nervous for, you know, commercial auditions. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a different, different level of stress. So that's, that's helpful too, because, you know, the stakes are just so much higher in aviation. You're, you have live bodies on board that you're responsible for their lives. And the aircraft you're flying is worth $85 million in the 65,000 pounds of aircraft. So, uh, suddenly when you go to perform or do things in the entertainment industry, you come to it with a, a greater sense of confidence and, and a lot less anxiety and stress because it's just a completely different bar is set much lower. Um, so that's really helped me too. Yeah. it's a really good pro tip is like just for, for all of us who work really hard in theater to create, you know, beautiful and entertaining things. Um, it's also really powerful to keep it in perspective. Um, yeah. Like I have uh, one of my best friends is a, a stage manager and production manager. And uh, we will often say to each other, it's not brain surgery. Like right now it feels really yeah. stressful, but you know, at the end of the day, we're not curing cancer. <laughs> we're not like, you right. know, we don't have someone's life in our hands necessarily. Um, but you're sort of forced so, to that perspective on a daily basis. Though yeah. so to be fair, I had a pilot friend sign up for my improv class and he didn't show up. And when I called <laughs> him to see what happened, he said, listen, I started thinking about it. And I thought in aviation, the worst thing that can happen is that I die. But in your <laughs> class, the worst thing that can happen is that I die in front of other people. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. And I thought, fair, fair point. Fair yeah. point. The number one fear is public speaking. I think death is number three. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Um, and it sounds like I, I just, when you were talking about sort of finding your way in the cockpit and like figuring out like kind of team building in each, you know, and every flight being its own like team building um, experience, I was thinking about what it sounds kind of like tech week or like doing a. Yeah, like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because I mean, I mean every day. Yeah, theater and specifically, you know, improv and sketch and comedy is so heavily collaborative Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very much like that and becoming more so in the cockpit there's um an FAA paradigm they love to use a template called CRM which stands for crew resource management Mm -hmm. and they're really getting away from that hierarchy of a captain you know being the last word on everything Mm -hmm. and the co-pilot who's now called the first officer uh sort of just acquiescing to whatever 
uh, is dictated in that chain of command. And now it's much more about working together as a team to make sure that the flights stay safe and that things are done effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much more of a back and forth, which is great. I really enjoy that. Um, and to be fair, most of the captains I have flown with have embraced that really magnificently, which is for a lot of them is a very different paradigm than they're used to. Right. A lot of them are a bit older and they've been very game and very gracious about changing that. Um, and so it also makes for a much better work environment, which mm-hmm. I like. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the trend in a lot of industries because I've seen the same thing happening in like um, operating rooms. Is like there's mm-hmm. also a, a big push towards the, being more collaborative and more um, making it safe for everyone to speak up when they know something that someone isn't saying. Um, so that's that's really good to see. I think. Yeah, I, I, as I said, I've really enjoyed everyone that I've flown with. I felt very very lucky so far. Um, all of the captains I've flown with have been incredibly skilled and experienced, but also very approachable um, and very relaxed and, and very amenable to suggestions, but also great mentors, but not in a way that's um, diminishing. They've been quite lovely. I've really enjoyed them. And they're very sweet because they know uh, first officers generally, the first year pay is quite low. And uh, so it's amazing how often I'll come back from pre-flighting or post-flighting the plane. So every time there's a a flight leg, the first officer's job is to go out and walk around the plane and examine everything. And it's amazing how often I'll come back inside the plane and there's some sort of drink or snack that's magically appeared. (laughs) They have a a very nice protective uh, demeanor, which is very sweet. Uh, So I said, I'm really enjoying flying with them. I I feel very lucky. That's wonderful. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Um, uh, I love it. I, and I'm so, I'm so excited to like get to talk to someone who has the sort of like behind the scenes experience too. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, as I said, it's, it's funny. Cause a lot of times, especially at a regional airline level, uh, cause for some pilots, you know, that are going on international flying, it's, it's a starting point. And for me, you know, I was excited enough flying single engine, little four seating, uh, Cessna 172. So this is so far beyond where I thought I would get as mm-hmm. a second career that, you know, I just go skipping through the airport, my uniform, I'm delighted to be there. And, and I think that's one of the reasons the captain's like flying with me is, you know, I sit there and one of them said that I've never seen someone smile so much in my life. Well, like, well that's a good thing. I said, this is a pretty sweet gig. I'm flying an $85 million aircraft. You can't beat the view out the office window. Um, you know, it's, it's quite an amazing thing. And I think sometimes people forget that they lose, you know, that frame of reference. Um, you know, I said, I've, I've met so many people that, that hate what they do for a living. And this is a, you know, there are people out there that would give their left tooth to, to be able to fly a plane, you know, (laughs) you're not a bus driver in the sky, you know, it's, it's quite an exciting adventure. Yeah. So cool. Um, so what is the biggest obstacle you, so you're living this life where you have these two careers that you love. Um, what was the biggest obstacle for you in getting to this place? Um, I think always it's time management and just, uh, you know, energy apportionment. There's so many hours in the day and, you know, I always kind of feel like if I devoted myself to just one, I would probably be a little further along, uh, in my career, but 
but I like both and I can't really, you know, choose. So I sort of reconciled myself with probably getting to enjoy a little less progress and a little less success in both careers is the opportunity cost, which is, you know, fine with me if I still get to do both. Um, but that can be hard. Like when I was doing my flight training, most of my contemporaries had moved on to jet jobs or, uh, airline jobs a few years before I was able to, just because I simply didn't have the time and effort to devote, you know, to building hours and experience that they did because they were doing it full time. And by the same token, you know, I've got two unfinished scripts right now that are driving me nuts because I just don't have time to get to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, an acting agent for a little while, but I was never available for auditions and she got frustrated and understandably so. So, I mean, there's definitely sacrifice in both arenas. Um, but a couple of years ago, I kind of sat down and thought, well, this is, these are the two paths I want to follow. So I have to understand that, that I will have to divide my, my energy and my, on my focus. Um, but again, I think being a well-rounded person, uh, is more satisfying to me than necessarily enjoying a higher level of success in either industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That totally makes sense. Um, but it would be really helpful if I only needed to sleep two hours a week. That would be great. (laughs) Please sleep more than that. The whole sleeping (laughs) thing really puts a crimp in the hole. Um, please sleep if you're flying planes right. that I'm going to be in. <laughs> please get more than two hours. Of sleep if only I could just great. hang upside down like a bat for like one yeah. or two hours every night. I could get so much more done. <laughs> so much. Um, I would probably just like fuck around a lot more if I had that much more time. <laughs> I slept a lot less. I don't know. Uh, I I value my playtime a lot. So, um, but it sounds like yeah. the jobs kind of are play in a way for you, which is so great. Yeah. Though I am, I am finding now that, you know, I, I do have to force myself to decompress a little bit. Like I came home last week and I only had one day at home and I'd been flying in freezing cold weather and I was absolutely exhausted. I think, uh, I slept for 13 hours (laughs) when I got home, I was so tired. And then I woke up the next day and, you know, it's Southern California. It was sunny out it was gorgeous. It was 80 degrees. And I had a list as long as my arm of things to do. And I stared out the window for a little while. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go buy a bike. And I <laughs> went and bought a bicycle. <laughs> and then we have lovely bike paths where I live. And I just rode a bike all day instead. And that was the best thing to do. It got me outside. You know, I got some fresh air, some exercise. It was a much better choice for my emotional health. And you know what? That stuff got done on another day. So it always does. I, I'm trying to consciously make sure that, uh, that I still have self-care because that's so important. Absolutely. Uh, um, can you tell us a vivid memory that you have of theater? Of theater? Uh, let me think. Oh, I'll give you one of, of uh, a, a not good experience that was a very, very good character builder for me. <laughs> I'm excited. This sounds great. It, <laughs> so uh, I wrote a one-woman show many years ago um, called Martians in My Driveway. And it was about a woman who, uh, in the 1930s, was listening to the radio and heard the Orson Welles 
uh, Halloween hoax that Martians had invaded the Earth. And she thought that it was really happening. So the play was about her reaction to that. And I had a blast performing it. And it was optioned by a theater in Canada. So I went to this theater to rehearse with a wonderful director and uh, performed it. And it was going really well. And I was really enjoying myself. And I never read reviews because that's not a good thing for actors or writers to do in the mid. Sometimes I'll read them after the run is over, but generally I don't, I don't want to know. So I was standing backstage one evening and literally the lights were going down and I was waiting to make my entrance. And one of the stage hands started creeping backstage towards me. And I didn't know what was going on because he knew I was about to go on. And, uh, he leaned in. I said, is, is there something wrong? What's happening? And he said, I just want you to know uh, that I don't agree with the review. I think it's a wonderful <laughs> show. Break a leg. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And then, it, and then the lights went out and I had to go off stage. <laughs> and I got off stage after the show. And sure enough, the, the local newspaper had, re- had written the most awful terrible review of the show (laughs) (laughs) and I mean that part was fine I just I thought what possessed this young man (laughs) to creep up before literally right before I went on stage to (laughs) it was probably done out of like a really good place yeah, and that's what was so funny about it. It wasn't intended to be malicious or thoughtless. It was just clueless. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, hopefully he's learned better since then. Because that's... And like, you know what? That was a talk great about example it. of uh, so many times you have to perform, especially in comedy, when you're not happy or things are not going well in your life or you have stress and you just have to not think about it. You have to focus on the job at hand. And honestly, that's always really helpful in aviation too, because you have outside stresses, you know, family problems, relationship problems, maybe you have financial problems, and none of that matters when you get to the plane. You have to fly the plane. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I find that really helpful too. One of the hardest things, and again, they're completely analogous, um, flight exams, which are called check rides, are horrible events and they, they never get easier. They're always so horribly stressful and they're basically comprised of an oral exam and then an exam, a flight exam either in the plane or at this level of the flight exams take place in the simulator. And then you have a line check later in the actual aircraft. And a lot of people don't pass them because their nerves get the better of them. They psych themselves out. It's, 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 it's heavily psychological. Mm-hmm. And I don't enjoy them any more than anyone else, but I've often been told I seem very calm and collected and confident, which I'm absolutely not. I'm quaking inside, <laughs> but I've had so many years experience at auditioning and performing mm-hmm. where you have to hide that and just go out and get the job done that I think it's been incredibly transferable, um, which is a very cool thing. In fact, I have, uh, I have to do a line check next week in the plane with, uh, with, uh, an air check man. And then I have to go back. You have to do recurrency training every six months. So I have to go back in the simulator and do ground school again in two more weeks. Um, and you know, everyone is so already talking about how terribly nervous they are for it. And I will be too. 
but again, the years of performing under pressure and auditioning have well prepared me for, for mitigating that, you know? Yeah. Do you have like a top tip for anyone who's listening, like someone who, who gets audition nerves or stage fright, or they do, um, big stressful things like (laughs) flying planes. (laughs) Um, like what are, are there like tips or strategies that you use that work really well to help you stay calm? Um, Well, I do two things and one's physical and one's mental. And the physical thing is literally regulating my breathing. Cause a lot of times when you're nervous, Mm -hmm. you know, your pulse rate increases and your heart rate and your breathing becomes more shallow and you can literally force yourself into a state of panic. So Mm -hmm. uh, I feel, you know, I feel that what everyone feels, I can feel my pulse rate going up, you know, I get a little bit shaky. Um, So I, I work really hard to slow my breathing down to take deeper breaths because that physically slows your heart rate and your pulse rate down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives you something to focus on. So your poor little brain isn't going in a million different panic directions. Um, and then the, the mental thing that I always try to do that someone taught me, uh, which is incredibly helpful is compartmentalizing. So I, I try really hard to just think about what I'm doing right now mm-hmm. and not try to extrapolate and think about what I'm doing in 10 minutes or all the stuff I still have to do in this flight test or all the lines I still have to say in this play. I just think about staying in the moment and then that keeps me from, uh, from ramping myself up into a panic about what's to come. And honestly, that's really been incredibly important in aviation because a lot of flight exams are quite long. Uh, the flight instructor exam, my exam was 11 hours long. Oh my Lord. It was a, it was a seven hour oral exam and about four hours in the plane. And if you start manifesting all the things you still have to do or how much longer it's going to be, um, you just don't make it through it. You know, it's a marathon. So you really have to compartmentalize your energy and your focus. And it would literally be this simple. You know, I would be taxing out to the runway going, I'm taxing right now. I'm concentrating because you taxi with your feet on the rudder pedals, not with the yoke, which still with your hands, which feels very weird the first couple of times. Uh, and then, you know, you think, okay, now I'm taking off. So now I'm going to push the throttle all the way up. Um, and that, that really helps a lot. I, I still do that. And I do that in performing as well. Um, but you also just, one of my things is a lot of times you just can't avoid those negative feelings or the panic or the anxiety and just finding a way to embrace it and know that you are going to be able to get through it is also really helpful. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be very nervous and have butterflies and think I've felt this feeling before. And I've been fine. I've had, you know, this anxiety before and everything's turned out okay. And I've still been able to get through. Uh, and there's nothing, I always tell my flight students and my theater students, there's no shortcut to that. It's, it's experience. The more you do something, the more repetition, um, the better you get at mitigating those feelings because you have a frame of reference. You know, I've done this before. I always feel this way. At the end, I'm going to get a nice little adrenaline surge and I'm going to be really happy that I pushed myself to do this. Uh, you, you learn the behavioral cycle and then it, it becomes familiar and familiarity always, uh, breeds, uh, confidence, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once you just, once you're old, things, <laughs> things get easier. It's a secret. It's just to, when you're a to million years it. old, you can deal with anything. <laughs> Well, this might be a redundant question, um, but it's it's on my list, and I ask everyone the same questions because they lead us to interesting places. Um, and the it, the question is, what's the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think for theater and for aviation and, and anything in life uh, is resilience and determination. I see so many people, you know, who don't have a taste of success at first give up or who get discouraged really easily uh, and walk away from things. And I found over the years, everything worthwhile uh, that I've done has been digging my heels in and not necessarily, you know, being successful the first, second, or even third time. Um, and But just hanging in there, absolutely not giving up, but also trying to improve what you have to offer. You know, even last year I was still taking writing classes here in LA. I'm always trying to improve my skill set, always trying to diversify. Um, keeps you challenged, keeps you sharp, but it also gives you purpose, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just that de- determination. I see so many people, uh, you know, get success at an age where, you know, so many other people have given up 10, 15 years earlier. And it's so satisfying to see. It's it's quite an amazing thing. One of my favorite um, uh, colleagues in aviation, it, it's rare that you're in a training class with another woman. Generally, you're the only one for miles. And I had one in my class and she was about my age, which was fantastic. And she was from Minnesota, which is awesome because it's like being an honorary <laughs> Canadian. We both say soda and, not, and we both say pop which is great. Um, And same thing. She had had a completely different career and wasn't, you know, enjoying it anymore. And in her mid to late forties decided that she was going to become an airline pilot. Um, And it, you know, it's so heavily automated now that for us older gals, it can be a real challenge, the automation. And, she hung in there and she's just finishing up and I'm so proud of her. She's an amazing person. And it, it's, it's fantastic to see that, to see someone that went, Nope, this is what I want to do. And it's going to be really hard. And I'm probably going to have to work a little harder than most people to do this, but I'm going to hang in there. And she has hung in there for the last couple of months through a, a family tragedy and a couple other uh, obstacles. And uh, she's winning. I'm I'm so delighted for her. Mm, that's so good to hear. <sighs> yeah, and it's lovely to have another woman to support too. Because mm-hmm. I, as I said, I was actually talking to my mom the other day, and I said, you know, if women supported each other a little more, I think we would have taken over the world quite a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, that's one of my favorite things when I'm flying because you usually alternate legs so the captain flies the first leg and then I fly the next one and back and forth and um, flight attendants are always really excited to see a female pilot which is Mm -hmm. really gratifying and and sweet and the the last couple times I've flown a leg and landed I've opened the cockpit door in time to see the flight attendant making sure everyone getting off the plane knows that I did the landing that our female fo just did that landing wasn't it a good landing it was a really good landing wasn't it i'm like that's so supportive and lovely that really is that's so was she telling that it really really is the rest of the crew no they're to the passengers they're making sure i did they know i did the landing And again, it's passengers. They're like, we don't care. We have a connected flight in 10 minutes. We don't care if a lizard landed the plane. We just need to go. (laughs) That's still really, I would have been very happy to hear that. 
Yeah, so no, it's very, very kind, and and I'm really enjoying that having that crew environment as you as we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with the support and everything is is quite nice. That's awesome. Um, on the flip side, what is something that you're struggling with right now? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think, as I said, just the, the balance of the two careers, but also, um, uh, because I've come to this a little bit later in life. Uh, sort of deciding pragmatically what's best for me. Like most of the people in my class were younger and mostly men. So they're in their early twenties. This is a first job for them. Um, so they're already interviewing uh, at the international level for, for the international flights. And, and I'm kind of happy where I am. I'm flying a brand new aircraft, which is, just gorgeous. I actually got to ferry one that had just come from the factory the other day. It still had plastic on the seats and new plane smell, which was quite an astonishing treat. Um, but also for me, uh, again, because I didn't grow up in a computer generation. Uh, in fact, I had a Commodore 64. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, everything is so computerized now. That's always one of the biggest challenges. For me, and having the confidence, you know, you're you're competing with people who are half your age and are mostly men, and same thing in the entertainment industry. Um, in fact, I taught uh, one of the many delightful jobs I've had. I taught sketch and improv at a college program back in Canada for a couple of years, and uh, it was interesting how much the male students did not want to take notes from a female instructor. Uh, and it, it would, t- it took me a couple months to win most of them over. And I only had one death threat, which is pretty good. So I feel like I, I was successful at, again, well, the determination. Wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? One death threat. And, so, and people always say, in Canada? <laughs> About what? Like, what, what? Well, at the end of the semester, we would put up a two hour comedy show. And there were 42 students in the class and they all had to be in the show and they were all allowed to pitch two scenes. So you can imagine what a challenge that was. So I had uh, this one young gentleman who pitched a 10 minute scene (laughs) that only had two people in it. Mm. And uh, essentially the premise of the scene was that um, aliens had killed uh, Kennedy, President Kennedy. And it was a very confusing scene. And way too long. And uh, when I attempted to give him notes on the scene, he withdrew the scene in protest and told me that he, if he ever saw me in the parking lot, he would run me down in his car. Yeah. He was removed by security. Yeah, I would have so. That's uh, really disturbing, actually. Yes. Ugh. So Canadians take hockey and comedy very seriously. Very <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And it was, it was so funny. Years later, I was working uh, for a casting agent in Toronto and we were, I can't remember what we were auditioning for. And the door opens and in walks this young guy. And the look <gasps> on his face when he saw me was one of the funniest things I've ever experienced. Did he, go the audition or did he just turn around and walk away? I would, I mean, like, how could he even audition at that point? Yeah, no, he was very funny. He said, basically, there's no point in me auditioning for this, correct? And I said, no, no, absolutely. I said, I would never let my personal feelings impact an audition. I'm a professional. He sort of said, oh, 
okay, I probably should have been more respectful to you. And I went, yeah, probably. All right, let's get you slated. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's such a perfect story. It's like a a perfect, like, like full circle story. (laughs) Well, and again... I always aspire to behave as graciously as I can in any given circumstance. And as I said earlier, adulting sometimes is not within my reach, but I I always, always aspire. It sounds like you were the adult in that moment. And that is really wonderful. Yeah. It just depends. It depends on the mood. I did have a a delightful non-adulting moment recently where I had uh, interviewed for a, a jet company in Southern California and I'd actually interviewed